0: Hi, Dave Stehoviak here, host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast. If you heard last week's episode, you already know I'm taking a brief break on airing new episodes until Monday, January 8th. But I'm returning today with a rebroadcast on the theme of courage. You heard Al McDonald's story last week. This week, I bring you a past conversation with Edith Eager. In World War II, Edith and her family were forced into the concentration camp at Auschwitz. When soldiers liberated the camps, someone noticed her hand moving in a pile of bodies. She survived. But not only did she survive, she became a psychologist and has helped countless others find their own courage and compassion. Her book, The Choice, is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever read. I can't think of anyone with a more courageous voice than Edith Eager. She's 96 years old today and she was 90 when we recorded this conversation. This is a rebroadcast of Coaching for Leaders, episode 336. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I am so glad that you tuned in for this conversation because today, a conversation, one that every leader, uh, I think I dare say every leader would benefit from hearing because so much of what we do, the work we do as leaders, is about compassion. It is about forgiveness in some ways. Uh, and it is always about, dare I say, love. The work we do to develop people, to care about people. And today's guest is someone who perhaps more than any guest I've ever had on this show, not only knows about this from firsthand experience, but has developed such an eloquence and an ability to speak to love and forgiveness and compassion in a way that that I think we will probably never hear from any other on the show. I am really thrilled to welcome Edith Eager to the show. Edith was 16 years old when the Nazis came to her hometown in Hungary and took her Jewish family to an internment center and then to Auschwitz. Her parents were sent to the gas chamber by Joseph Mengele soon after they arrived at the camp. Hours later, Mengele demanded that Edie dance a waltz to the Blue Danube and rewarded her with a loaf of bread that she shared with her fellow prisoners. These women later helped save Edie's life. Edie and her sister survived Auschwitz and managed to live until the American troops liberated the camps in 1945 and found Edie in a pile of dying bodies. One of the few living Holocaust survivors to remember the horrors of the camp, Edie has chosen to forgive her captors and find joy in her life every day. Years after she was liberated from the concentration camps, Edie went back to college to study psychology. Today, at 90 years old, Edie is a renowned psychologist and speaker who specializes in treating patients with traumatic stress disorders. She is the author of the recently published book, The Choice, Embrace the Possible, a book that Desmond Tutu calls a gift to humanity, one of those rare and eternal stories that you don't want to end and that leave you forever changed. Edie, welcome to Coaching for Leaders.
1: Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I'm so looking forward to have a wonderful dialogue with you. Well, you know, I never ask my patients, how can I help you? Because I I don't want to ever infantilize people. But I can say, how can I be useful to you? Because I'm doing it with you.
0: Oh, what a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful way to start! It's one of the questions I find myself asking often as well: is what was useful, or how can we be useful in our conversations? And as I was reading your biography, in so many ways, it's such an improbable life story, and yet here you are. And I, the thing that struck me as I was reading the book is that this book just came out, of course, and the the stories, of course, many decades old. What is it that motivated you to write this book just now, so many years later?
1: You know, such a beautiful question because I tried so many times and somehow one day I decided that I have now great-grandsons. I have four generations now, which I consider the best revenge to Hitler. Uh, that maybe I want to let them know that it's not what happens in life, it's what we do with it, that you can choose to only look at the darkness or the discoveries that you made. And that's how I see Auschwitz. I see Auschwitz as an opportunity, for an opportunity for each of us to somehow recognize that we have the power within us, not to react, but how to respond.
0: Mm. One of the lessons you teach about in the book, but also I know in your speaking, is you share the story of what your mother said to you on the way to Auschwitz, that no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind
1: yeah this is something that perhaps your mom told you as well and guess what that's exactly what happened everything was taken away from me everything except my mind and i had my sister and today i beg parents don't spoil your children because poor children don't master anything on their own and that kind of dependency can really breed depression because it's all external i think that many people who are waiting for happiness to come from the outside are not going to be happy unless they discover that they have a choice they have a choice to look at everything in life as Not a recovery, but a discovery.
0: I suspect there are so many young people who will read your book and come away with so many lessons from it. And I'm curious, what is it that you hope that the young folks, especially listening, will discover from your story?
1: Yes. At 90, hopefully, I can do everything in my power to to be a good role model and um, especially young people because they are the ambassadors for peace. They are the future leaders. I'm very invested in the young to let them know how to take education seriously so they can truly hold themselves responsible. And I see that uh, young people do speak up. I really like that kind of righteousness. Righteous anger, not uh, you know, I don't want any violence, but I can see that people speak up now, and I'm very proud of the young people who do that. And I think you and I can now dialogue about how we can truly empower those young, precious people with their one-of-a-kind, unique, beautiful way because there'll never be another you. That's good to celebrate, you know, when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic.
0: I read many years ago Victor Frankel's work, and I know you were friends friends with Frankel. Yes,
1: I was just going to tell you that not until I was at the university, and someone handed me a book, Man Search for Meaning. I uh, I was in complete denial. I didn't have the verbal capacity because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Until I read Man Search for Meaning, and I I became a diplomat in logotherapy, and I'm certainly so so grateful that I. Uh, write that book as a female voice of Viktor Frankl.
0: Oh, indeed. And I love your book as a, a follow-up to Frankl's work because you've mm-hmm. you've taken so many of the lessons from, the, from your experience in the camps, and then you also share so many of the lessons that come, came out of your experience with patients, which I love. And in fact, of mm-hmm. all the things in the book that are compelling and that will stay with me, the, the story that I just cannot uh, I cannot continue to keep, I just can't keep, stop keeping thinking about is the story, um, and I hope you don't mind me sharing just a brief synopsis of something you shared in the book, of a story of two patients that came in your office. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll, you probably know which one I'm going to share. This, this one stays with me, and I'll, I'll read what you wrote. One morning, I saw two patients back to back, both mothers in their 40s. The first woman had a daughter who was dying. She spent most of her visit crying, asking how God could take her child's life. It hurt, so much. it hurt so much for this woman. She was absolutely devoted to her daughter's care and devastated by her impending loss. The next patient had just come from the country club, not the hospital. She too spent much of the hour crying. She was upset because the new Cadillac had just been delivered and it was the wrong shade of yellow. On the surface, her problems seemed petty, especially compared to the previous patient's anguish over her dying child. But I knew enough about her to understand that her tears of disappointment over the color of her car were really tears of disappointment over the bigger things in her life that hadn't worked the way she had hoped for. A lonely marriage, a son who had been kicked out of yet another school, the aspirations for a career that she had abandoned in order to be more available for her husband and child. Often the little upsets in our lives are emblematic of the larger losses. The seemingly insignificant worries are representative of greater pain. I realized that day how much my two patients, who appeared so different, had in common with each other and with people everywhere. Both women were responding to a situation they couldn't control in which their expectations had been upended. Both were struggling and hurting because something was not what they ex- wanted or expected it to be. They were trying to reconcile what was with what ought to have been.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: I know that you suffered from survivor's guilt for many, many years. Yes. What ultimately yes. set you free from that guilt?
1: Well, you know, many people tell me, Edie, you have overcame and i can tell you that i i did not overcome and i did not forget what happened i i just don't live there i live in a present and i can only touch you now but that doesn't mean i i fight the past or run away from the past as i did until i was able to Go back to Auschwitz, go back to that lion's den and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and give to the perpetrator and finally begin to forgive myself that I survived because I graduated with honors and I never showed up for my graduation because I said to myself that uh, I'm here, I'm alive. And they're not. So you see, I didn't need a, a, a Nazi out there. I had one in me. So today I ask people to look at the part in you that uh, somehow leads you to self-sabotage and, and not to truly embrace yourself and accept yourself. And I began to work with PTSD with Vietnam veterans, and I had two paraplegics with the same symptomatology and same diagnosis, but one of them was really just a shout and curse and and was always against, against, against. And conversely, the other one said to me, you know, Doc, I'm in a wheelchair, and I'm so grateful that God gave me a second chance in life. I can see the flowers closer, my children's eyes. And I felt like a terrible imposter. I had a white coat on. I had Dr. Eger, Department of Psychiatry. And I had a 16-year-old in me that I ran away from. And that's when I decided to go back to Auschwitz and revisit the place where I'd been and... Relive that experience. And today, that's really helped me to not to call myself a therapist, but a guide. Mm. I guide people. I hold your hand. And we go and and visit the places where you've been, but you don't get stuck in there. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't camp there or set up household there.
0: Much of your professional work has been mm-hmm. helping people to move yeah. to that place and i'm I'm so curious when people arrive at that place where they feel that freedom and they 've made that choice, as you talk about in the book, what is different mm-hmm. about them?
1: Well again, I can only speak for myself i I somehow don't feel. I have arrived. I'm still in a process. So I'm I'm climbing that mountain <laughs> and and I sleep and I climb and and but I I have yet to arrive. I think I I'm just on that journey. I I don't know what will happen tomorrow, uh, but I know right now I'm speaking to you and I feel delighted uh, that your interest in, is in someone like me, that you want to learn from history. And many people think that forgiveness is uh, that you're going to forget. I will never forget. And I will not overcome. I, I came to terms with it. It's, it's a cherished wound. That uh, makes me appreciate every moment, every moment, and so I, I'm just very blessed that I was given that chance to guide people from victimization to empowerment, from darkness to light. I, I like to call myself a guide. I like movement. So if I hold your hand and I am going to really somehow guide you to see to your freedom, but I have yet to arrive myself and I enjoy that journey beautifully. I go dancing every Sunday and uh, and I go swing dancing. So when I speak at schools, they call it supermarket music, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay, I'll go to the supermarket music, but it doesn't mean that my music is better or less than your music. Mm. And so I was dancing Cosmos. Uh, um, some people had a wonderful full anniversary of a company that started uh, 50 years ago, and. So wherever I am, I, I hope to, you know, just learn and fit in. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be less than who I am. I think that that's what my mom told me, that my mind is with me. So the Nazis could beat me and torture me and throw me in a gas chamber, but I could never, ever. Murder my spirit. That's what I bring you today. And I teach my patients how to respond and not to allow anyone to get to you without your, your allowing them.
0: As you were sharing that analogy of being a guide, of holding hands, and of being on the journey yourself, I couldn't help but just think of how much that is like so many in our community who listen to the show every week of how there are so many questions we still have and yet so much of leadership mm-hmm. is about holding that person's hand, if not literally, figuratively, and being the guide and asking questions versus being the dictator. And so many lessons I am of that.
1: the most curious 90s. I'm going to ask questions. I don't have the answers, but I'm going to ask questions I also like to concentrate on a what and a how rather than the why because I think why is a past oriented word. Why did this happen and why requires a because? So I like I I like to be more in a what and a how, what is in the present and how we're gonna move forward and how we can do things differently rather than why. I don't know why Dr. Mengele grabbed me when I followed my mother and told me I'm going to just take a shower and I'm going to see her very soon and threw me on the other side, which meant life. I, I don't know. I don't know. Because I think that my life was in God's hand. My God was a loving God that... Guided me to turn hatred into pity. I felt so sorry for the gods. So his forgiveness is not me forgiving you; it's it's me not allowing anyone to take residence in my body that may poison my spirit. So this is that idea of uh, of reclaiming the joy and passion in life. Because if I hate you, you don't suffer, I do. So I'm, 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 I'm very selfish, you know. I want to have joy, I want to have passion. And if I would just struggle with the hatred from the past, I would become a, a hostage or a prisoner of the past. And I refuse to do that. I don't allow that Hitler to take over my life. And I think there is a Hitler in every one of us, and there is goodness and kindness, and you have a choice. That's why the book is called The Choice, whether you choose to be miserable or you choose to be curious. That curiosity kept me alive, truly, in Auschwitz. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to go back to school and have the IQ and the EQ, the emotional IQ. And that comes from Auschwitz. Now, you don't have to go to Auschwitz (laughs) to know suffering. (laughs) Life is suffering, but suffering is feelings. So I like to embrace the feeling, feeling the feeling, and then release that. So it's a kind of a journey not to run from a feeling. It's just a feeling. There is no right or wrong feeling. There is only my feeling. There's only your feeling. So don't judge a feeling. Just allow yourself to feel the feeling and then decide how you're going to hold on to it and how how you are able to legitimize that feeling. It's nothing wrong with anger. It's really how you channel it. But under, underneath of anger is a lot of pain. There's a lot of fear. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is when you expected one thing and you got another. And then you have to see the gap between your expectations whether they are realistic or unrealistic
0: it's amazing how much of our human conflict comes from unclear expectations with each other isn't That's
1: it right. for the expectations you said it
0: yeah. i w- i wanted to ask you one other thing one of the things our audience is always hearing from me is that leaders are learning and growing and changing their mind on things. And Mm -hmm. uh, in doing all this work, and especially writing this book, what have you changed your mind on in the last few years?
1: I changed my mind in many, many ways. But most of all, what am I going to hold on to? And what am I willing to let go of? I totally give up the need for other people's approval. I, I tell you what I tell you, and then if you like it, fine. I think my best four-letter word is risk, and I let you know I like to get to know you, but if you tell me, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you, I don't think I was rejected. I just wanted something, and I didn't get it. There is no such thing as rejection. No one can reject me but me. I also give up the need uh, to any kind of perfectionism, that I have to do things right. Whatever I do, I do, and if it's if it's okay, it's okay, and if not, I will not really punish myself as I used to that... I I didn't deserve to survive and I'm saying now to myself that uh, there, there is a way that I was left here to be able to perhaps do what I do now to be a good role model for the young people.
0: That is interesting you say that because that is exactly where I landed to. Um, your your story is my family's story too. The, yeah. the Nazis showed up the Nazis showed up at my grandmother's house when she was a teenager and it started a journey that landed mm-hmm. her and me in America as well. And her her story is very different in many ways from yours, but in a lot of ways it's very much the same too. And in and, and reading this book, the thing that I couldn't help but coming back to is what a brilliant job you have done with this book. And in your life, of giving voice to the experiences of so many, uh, my grandmother included, who couldn't, for whatever reason, be voices for themselves. Um, God bless you, Edie, for the hard work you've done to be where you are today, to give voice to the voiceless, to be a teacher of love and forgiveness out of this horrific time in human history. Thank you so much for it. I am so grateful for your work and your message and for what you've shared with us today.
1: You're so welcome and I have faith in you that you will continue this and pretty soon we're going to hold hand in hand and we're going to have a human family so we can finally make it and survive with each other and we'll be brothers and sisters and that's my hope and that's what you're doing. So I'm with you on that. You can count on your, my support. As long as I'm
0: here. Dr. Edith Eager is the author of The Choice, Embrace the Possible. Edie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast. As always, you can find the episode notes at coachingforleaders.com, and I hope you'll join me for new episodes returning on Monday, January 8th. In the meantime, I have two invitations for you. First, we have 13 years of conversations like this archived and neatly sorted inside our free membership. You can, of course, find everything I've ever aired freely available on whatever podcast app or service you use. But the apps and services assume often you want to just find the most recent episode, and they don't always make it easy for you to find what you need right now. Google Podcasts, for example, has most of our catalog, but unfortunately not the entire catalog. And someone reached out to me recently and said, why doesn't it have the whole catalog? And I said, well, they have a size limit, unfortunately, which we have exceeded. So we send them the full catalog, but you can't quite get everything. On the other hand, Apple Podcasts does support that, but Then they made a change earlier this year, so it's harder to find the episode numbers. I wish I could control those things, but I can't. So that's one of the many reasons we have the free membership on the website. So you can always find exactly what's most relevant to you right now in the full catalog. Once you set up your free membership, you can search the entire library of past episodes by topic. You can find what you need today, plus tons of other benefits inside of the free membership. If you haven't already, go over and get access to that at coachingforleaders.com. And if you're looking to substantially accelerate your leadership skills in this new year, 2024, you may want to consider the Coaching for Leaders Academy. It's one thing to know good practice, to hear these conversations each week, to read books. It's an entirely different thing to do it in practice. That's why I'm working personally with Academy members to focus almost entirely on behavior change, putting into practice the actions we know will help us lead better. Applications to our Academy next open here in about two months, early March 2024. If you'd like to receive an early invitation when applications do open, you can join our early invitation list by visiting coachingforleaders.com academy. I hope you'll consider the Academy if working personally with me and several other leaders in our community will help you move forward in this new year. A big thank you as always to Andrew Kroger, who edits this show every week and always brings out the best in our conversations. Thank you, Andrew, for all you do. And thank you also to Sierra Priest, who ensures everything works well and gets posted accurately and on time. Thank you so much, Sierra. And thank you, for the ongoing privilege to support you. Best wishes for the holidays and New Year, and see you back for our next regular episode on January 8th.